Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we're so welcome to honor Nikki Mitzenmeyer to the show. Welcome, Nikki. Hey, everyone. Lovely to be here. I've also got my trusty co-host, Rina Ambaiwi. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Nikki is a corporate account executive relatively earlier in her career. So we're going to have a fun conversation about what it's like to, to get started in sales with a fresh recollection. Uh, she is at Snowflake. Uh, before we get there, I'm going to ask maybe a get to know you question. What are you reading right now? I am reading Made to Stick. I'm super passionate about entrepreneurship. That's like the the long-term goal in my career, I'd say. But I think the book is also relevant to sales. It's essentially just about how to make ideas super sticky and stay in your customers' minds. The folks who wrote that, Chip and Dan Heath, they are, they are brothers. They have written a bunch of incredible books. I second the motion on that one. When we were prepping for the podcast, you know, the listeners don't always know what happens behind the scenes. One thing is I always ask the guests to describe their company or help me describe the company in a not excessively marketing-esque way. Because I find that so often, I was in marketing before, so I'm guilty of this, is that marketers take the value prop and describe it sort of one level higher aspirationally. That looks good on paper, but when you're a salesperson, it's really, really hard to say those words and come off as genuine and credible. At Snowflake, are you required to say the words? Some some companies do require this. Like we don't at SalesLoft, but are you required to say the words in a particular way or do you get to express what you do in the way you're comfortable? I'd say they encourage authenticity, of course, but the company's gone through so many pivots in the last few years. We talk about it in the phases of like Snowflake 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. So while we're like in the middle of that shift from 2.0 to 3.0, which is what is currently happening, they ask that we switch up our jargon to be more in line with the new way the company is kind of positioning itself in the market. So yes, encouraging authenticity, but they ask that some of our verbiage does shift to be in line with kind of the new phase of the product. We're about to go on our own branding shift, I guess, from Sales Loft 1.0 to 2.0. So any advice for Rena and I about how we should help our own salespeople manage that transition? I'd say that, again, like encourage people to stay authentic. Like I still think how we positioned ourselves in the 2.0 phase of the product still rings true. But also just training people on what that 3.0 value prop really is and how they can integrate it into their sales pitch and just educating people is the best way to go about it. When I think of value props, I, I th- often I go tactical pretty fast. Like what are the use cases and how have those use cases changed? So as you're evolving from what new use cases are you guys, um, are you guys tackling and, and how do you as a salesperson learn to actually be articulate about those use cases? It's totally true that it is all tied back to use cases. Snowflake's initial 1.0 use case was the the typical data warehouse. And when we shifted to 2.0, it was really to position ourselves as this true data platform that would support more use cases than just internal business intelligence or reporting. So it took a lot of technical education on what those use cases actually are as we made that shift from a data warehouse to a full-blown data platform. And now this third iteration of the product or how we're positioning ourselves is really centered around data sharing and how Snowflake creates this hub for organizations to exchange data and create this like larger network effect. 
So again, it's just educating ourselves on how one that that technology works, but also what that means for businesses to become a part of that larger network. How did you, as a rep, because Snowflake seems pretty technical, stay on top of what was going on with the product without getting overwhelmed, but knowing what you needed to know to be dangerous? Because I see a lot of new account executives fall into that this overwhelmingness of complex platforms. Yeah, I think that what we're taught to focus on is always business value. Yes, we have this new technical use case, but what is this actually bringing to a business or to an end user? How is this actually going to help someone generate more revenue or make their own lives easier? So first and foremost, learning the business value. Um, But fun story here, when we were going through this like data platform shift, I was still an SDR and I ended up creating this, uh, what I call the use case club that met uh, once a week and we would hone in on a new technical use case or customer story every week. And we'd all go off on our own and, and study it during the week and then come together and have kind of this team session on what we learned and what that use case really is. So uh, that was kind of a fun thing we did way back when, when we were in the office. What resources would you use to actually get smart on the use case? I love that actually. Both Rena and I are, if, if people can see the video, we're smiling. Mostly what was on the the Snowflake website is analy- or looking at, at resources and there is tons of really awesome enablement offered to us. So making sure we were running through that en- enablement training, but then coming back and actually talking about it, but also leveraging engineers in the office that are you know more so educated on that stuff than, than we are. I do think that while it's important to focus on business value, like understanding what the engineers are actually talking about is it's still super important. And it makes you more confident as a rep as well. She talked about business value, which is something we talk about a ton internally at SalesLoft as well. And I know as somebody early in your career, it can feel like you don't know enough or you don't know where to start to connect those dots. What are the things that you did to help you feel like you could kind of have a seat at the table and go toe-to-toe with somebody? As an SDR, getting to shadow my AE's calls really helped me develop that business acumen. I took a lot of opportunities um, when I was still in school to try to kind of create my own businesses. And at that time, I think that's when I was really exposed to like what's important to startups and what's important to companies. And it was super relevant in my role now because I'm working with startups. So I think a lot of the experience I had, like trying to build one myself, allowed me to develop that business acumen and understand what's important to those sort of companies. One of the challenges I know a lot of companies have is making sure that the business value or the outcomes, if you will, that the SDR learns in the courses uh, of the initial discovery, that the AE learns in the course of selling are then actually transferred seamlessly over to the implementation, customer success, and account management teams. Uh, What do you guys do at Snowflake in order to make sure that those business value slash outcomes are conveyed across each one of those boundaries? So I I think something unique about our corporate team is we don't have SDRs or a customer success team. It's us carrying the prospect through to a first cold call, through first meeting, through close, through hopefully years and years of success on, on Snowflake. I guess from the perspective of that first touch point, making sure you're at obviously the best way to get a meeting is to add value right off the bat. Tell a customer story, make sure it's really sticky right off the bat. 
and then carrying that business value all through the deal cycle. I'd say that's what we hone in on the most in our sales cycle is like, there's no deal unless you're solving for a business pain or driving some sort of business value. So you, you mentioned you had a technical resource, which is great. How do you keep that relationship strong and what are your expectations of each other? I look at it really as partnership. They have a quota they're trying to hit too. And these are also their prospects and customers. So making it a symbiotic relationship and always asking for their feedback, but also making sure there's boundaries set. Like I don't want to waste their time on an account. So constantly just getting feedback, making sure it's a really comfortable symbiotic relationship, I guess, where we can ask each other the dumb questions and really come into deals as like a team versus I'm on one team and they're on another. One of the things I've noticed in this, in like the CS zeitgeist lately is this idea that of what you're doing basically of like the merged account manager CSM role where the account manager has commercial responsibility as well as the responsibility to go to the prospect and say, hey, you already have bought Snowflake and I was talking to another customer who's using it in this way. You can use it in this way too. And sometimes that might not, or hopefully often that doesn't actually require them to spend more in that moment. How do you manage the tension between like, I got to hit my quota but I also need to make sure that the customer gets value without having to pay more along the way. Yeah, it's not easy all the time. You know, it's a give and take. I think what is interesting about Snowflake's pricing model is that it's all consumption-based. So the more that a customer is actually getting value out of Snowflake, the more you might be able to upsell them. So it's really nice, actually, that like if you spend a lot of time on a customer and helping them see more value, they're, of course, willing to maybe spend a bit more money because they're executing this new really cool use case that they're excited about. That's then in turn helping them save money or increase their revenue in another area of the business. So you can organize your time and book of business in a way where dedicating time to your customer accounts will also help you hit quota. At a high level, do you mind sharing kind of if you have targets in each of those, meaning that new and um, upsells that helps you back into how you should spend your time? Yeah, they, they've taken away... There, there's, of course, KPIs and expectations of the business. But there isn't a stark outline in our quota and comp plan as to where we should be spending our time. So I think it really is contingent on your territory, what accounts you have in your name, what customers you have in your name. So it's an opportunity to get creative with your manager at the beginning of the fiscal year and really create a tailored strategic plan to the companies that you're working with. Oftentimes, you'll see in high, in high growth companies, the AE separate from the account manager, right? Separate from the, the person who will upsell, cross-sell, and renew. And then in, in companies, when the growth settles down, more tends to come from upsell. And therefore, they don't need to put as much emphasis on standalone AEs. And in fact, it's really hard to have standalone AEs. But you guys are a hyper growth company that also has figured that out. One place I worked where they did that, they basically had a, they called it NCBI, net contract value increase. So you came in the year as an AE with, let's say, like a million dollars base of business, and you had to get to 1.25 million by the end of the year, and you got kind of as that came in. Is that a similar model for you as you come in with kind of a base of business each year, and then and you just have to increase that over time? I don't think that's how the, what the mindset is and how it's set up. I, I honestly don't know the, the full logic as to how they build our comp plans. It's probably something I should know because it's how I... It's how I get paid. Um, but I, I don't think that's how it's set up. Like, And I will say, while 
the capacity one deals aren't a part of our quotas. Like it's definitely an expectation from the business. Like you better be closing a certain amount of deals. It's what shows that you're a good rep. You transitioned from SDR to AE right in the beginning of the COVID pandemic. What was that like? Did that affect how you transitioned? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild starting to sell to companies right at the cusp of people not wanting to buy, of course. So yeah, it was a bit harder to, of course, even book first meetings. Um, but I think we're lucky in that I, I sell to the Bay Area. And what's really exciting about the SMB space at Snowflake is that we're selling to high-growth data-driven startups that were most likely doing okay during COVID because of the nature of the industry. So that definitely made the transition easier. But of course, not being able to get the live coaching you would in the office or hearing others on calls definitely makes the ramping remote a bit difficult. Will you guys go back into the office or we're experiencing a situation where everyone seems more productive at home that have you guys at Snowflake taken a stand on whether people will come into the office or not? I don't know. I don't think so. That question probably goes way above my my pay grade. I, I have no idea. But I agree that there is certain aspects of the job that's a bit honestly easier to do at home once you are ramped. So, And I think our productivity has either stayed the same or gone up. So I'd be surprised if they're rushing us to get back. I think you said the magic words, though. It's like once you're ramped, then you can be extreme. Then you might even be more productive. Yeah. And it's not all about productivity. It's also obviously about culture and learning and and that sort of thing. But I I do have incredible empathy for folks who, um, you know, got hired or started new jobs during COVID because it's uh, like, I don't even know. They don't get the culture. They don't get the learning. I see Rena, you're shaking your head. And Rena's an enablement at Salesloft. I didn't mention that at the beginning. Uh, so yeah, how, how what have you done, Rena, in order to to make sure that new Salesloft folks feel that they're a learning and be part of the culture? To Nikki's point, it was basically the same the same situation when we as enablement had to flip and make everything remote because we were a very office based onboarding. It was a switch for us. So we we try to do some very similar things that she kind of mentioned, which is working in cohorts. So hiring people in the same month and making sure that they get that camaraderie. Like even if you are logged off for the day from onboarding, who can you go and ask questions to and feel comfortable with? Um, And then the second thing that I always encourage people to do is we focus very little actually on organizational type of things in onboarding because we have so little time with the team. But one session that we specifically cover is what artwork looks like at a high level. And my call to action is go set up meetings with people, get to know them. This is the best time to do that. You're a little bit at a leg up because before where we were in a split environment, now everybody is remote. They're going to be more receptive to kind of meeting and having coffee with you. And we've seen that that does help at least a little bit. Have you guys found ways to, uh, you know, out in San Francisco, have you found ways to get the team together yet? Or is it too soon for that? Not officially. We're still proceeding on the side of caution. But of course, I've had the opportunity to connect with coworkers in, in my own time, which has been nice. They definitely miss the camaraderie of the office. So um, I am antsy to at least, you know, meet everyone I've been staring back at uh, on a screen for, for so long. I read a poll on LinkedIn the other day that asked people, did you grow up wanting to be a, a salesperson? When did you figure it out? Did it happen by accident? I think that without even knowing it, I always had a sales bug because I think sales and entrepreneurship go hand in hand. You got to sell your company. It's flexing the same muscles. I just never 
called it sales. I always just like, oh, I want to start a company and build something out, but never really thought about the fact that it is essentially a sales job. Um, so I kind of fell into it. I took a course that was offered that was a, a intro to sales class, which it's pretty cool that was even offered. I don't think many business schools offer that, but was first exposed to sales there where we were paired with a mentor in the industry. And I got paired with a really, really awesome mentor. Her name's uh, Monica Miller. So Monica, if you're listening to this, shout out to her. She's my first exposure to sales and was a really impactful mentor in my life. She was making a career transition into Snowflake and we developed a really awesome relationship. And she said, you know, there's this booming, awesome company. I think you'd be a great culture fit. I know you want to pursue this comp- this like entrepreneurship company and you should do that. But if it doesn't work out, like please just apply. So that's how I kind of stumbled into it. And then a few months in, once I started in the role, I was like, wait, this is exciting. This is challenging. I, I think I might be good at this. And that's how I kind of got, got the knack for it. And I'm still here a couple of years later. I'm still having a constant epiphanies. I'm sure you're having them every day. What What's a recent epiphany that you, you, know, you got from one of those strong women mentors? One of the biggest things that Monica always honed in on in our sessions uh, back in the day was just becoming a, a student of what you sell, but also she was really big on becoming a student of what your prospects and customers are doing and making sure you're being super curious and empathetic to their needs and everything you're always putting in front of them should be relevant and aligned to their needs. Being empathetic and curious um, and creative on how you think your product can really align with that customer's uh, business strategy. So it goes back to the whole value selling. Clearly, you landed where you were supposed to. You went from SDR to AE very quickly. Your success has probably contributed to many things, but if you had to share one piece of advice for SDRs currently, what do you think got you there so quickly? Staying excited and constantly challenging yourself. I think it's easy to go through the motions as an SDR and get almost apathetic about just like booking meetings. But I was always super passionate about helping my AEs and I really cared about their book of business. And I became almost a partner to them. And I think it created an opportunity for me to be constantly challenged, which then in turn pushed me to learn more quickly um, and really excel in the role and prove my value to management really quickly. And then of course, that passion is kind of translated into this role. So your constant student thing actually was mentioned in that book I read last night. It, uh, it was called the customer success playbook or handbook. It was written by one of the, I think the chief customer officer over at Gainsight. One of the things that they mentioned in the book is that CSMs, but I think by extension AEs as well, should pick up certifications in the industry they sell into. So they use the example of like, if you sell into project management, you should pick up a PMP. There's so many data centric certifications out there, right? Or even picking up a, a certificate or master's degree in data science. Is that something that you know you think would be of interest to you or because that it's a time trade-off, right? Is it's that versus doing other things. Like, do you think that that's a good return on investment? Potentially. I don't know if it's as necessary in the AE role because we are as technical as you can get, you know, what we keep coming back to throughout the deal cycle and even in this podcast, we keep talking about it is the business value. But what I did do uh, just in the last year or so is have an extended session with my SD. I was like, okay, really tell me how all of this works. Like, I want to hear the full technical nitty gritty pitch, not even pitch, but like 
how does Snowflake actually look under the hood and what's actually happening to our customers' data when it comes in? While a lot of it definitely went over my head, I then felt more confident going into calls, knowing like going to customers and like fully knowing what was happening when they were putting our data in the platform. So I guess that doesn't fully answer your question because that's uh, more so in the side of being a student of what we sell versus what a customer sells. But I think that was a really good use of time just to like fully understand what the product does and what's happening when our customers are onboarding. I'm with you, though. I think it's progressive, right? Which is, you know, you need to understand your product first and foremost. And then once you have a mastery of your product and, you know, these things can overlap to some extent, then you also develop an understanding of like the job that the jobs to be done of your customer. And then once you understand, you know, their job to be done, say in data, let's say you start selling into a vertical, then you want to understand how does that vertical create economic value? Uh, So yeah, it it does make a lot of sense to me. I'll give you a use case. So here's how I use Snowflake personally. We are our SDR, sorry, our CSM team, that's why I've been thinking about customer success a lot, conducts executive business reviews periodically. And they were spending a ton of time copying and pasting data to build out slides. So we actually just wrote a bunch of queries that hit a Snowflake database where our data is stored and then convert that, transform that into graphs and charts in the Google slide deck. So the CSMs don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes, right? They just see a Google slide deck once that comes out. But it's a, a great use for us. And Snowflake makes it super easy for us to do that. Interesting segue off of that. Do, do you personally also do executive business reviews or quarterly business reviews with your existing customers? Yeah, timely question. We just, Well, we just did our own QBR two days ago, but that was internally. Uh, yes, but with customers, uh, I do try to do quarterly business reviews. More so for just like checking in, like how are things going? And then that's also the opportunity to identify those new use cases and continuously figure out how we can add value to them and expand on their like current use of Snowflake. When you check in with them, do you, I would assume you review their usage, presumably, of the platform. Do you also do any sort of an assessment on business value? Because it's like with a data warehouse, it can be hard of... What was the hard ROI that you actually came up with from using it? It's very, that's kind of difficult to do, but you can do a qualitative assessment of value. Do you, are you doing anything like that yet? You're honestly getting my wheels turning on things <laughs> you're doing because right now it's more so just like asking questions, but of course it's typically the technical folks on the call and I'm getting an idea now that would, it would be interesting to run these reviews, but with their like C-suite and like a CEO, CFO, CRO and asking them how they're seeing value out of Snowflake. So that's a great idea. I'm going to take that back. You can you can have that one. I, I steal all my ideas. They're, they're, nothing is original. Well, I, just to end, because we're, we're almost about to wrap up here, I'm going to ask you a question that we often ask guests at the beginning. But but since you said that you you know you always had the selling, uh, the selling motivation within you, what's the first thing you ever remember selling when you were a kid? I think it was... Um, I think it has to have been lemonade. Like we had a little uh, lemon tree in our backyard. And we'd mix the fresh lemon juice with that really sweet country. What was it? Country made country time. Oh yeah. It was probably horrible. Like I feel so bad for anyone that drove by our house that day uh, and drank hot lemonade. But that was, that was probably the first thing that I ever sold back when I was like, what, five or six. Well, Nikki, it was uh, such a pleasure having you on the show and thanks for sharing your experiences and, and would love to kind of check in with you over time as, as you progress 
Uh, I suspect if we wait a few months, you're going to be yet another promotion after promotion. So congratulations on your success and thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.